In your name we pray, amen. I'm going to lie, it's kind of weird being in front for once. <laughs> so if you want to turn to Luke chapter 11, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 13 today. And it shall also be in the back. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we, have forgi- for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the, other, the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. And my children and I are in bed. I I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask it and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock the door and will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You did it, Charlie. Charlie does, uh, has done more for this church for a longer period of time than anyone in this room, <laughs> and, <laughs> and now he gets to talk up front, and you get to look at his face, so it's good, right? It's good. I'm going to back up a little bit so I stop ringing. All right. Well, uh, before we get started today, I just wanted uh, to reiterate what Ashley was saying. Uh, the Easter egg hunt uh, planning meeting is... Um, this, this Wednesday at our house, please come over. It's going to be fun. Uh, we have really good coffee at our house. It's better than the church's coffee. Uh, we want the church's coffee to essentially ascend to that level of our home's coffee. That's our standard. So, uh, so we know that'll be over there. And, uh, and secondly, the work day. Uh, we really just want to get the house ready for people uh, for the Easter holiday, to be honest with you. We have a couple more things we need to do. We need to uh, clean up some of our kids' areas again and make some of our signage clear and do a little painting. And we, I have a couple other little projects that I'll probably tap a few of you on the shoulder this week to help out with. So, um, uh, so yeah, come out to that. It's going to be fun. The, the thing I realize about the life of the church is that as we journey together, as we are... And as we actually do work together, what happens is we are unified in some really significant way. If you, if you, pick, up a, if you pick up a shovel, not that we're going to be shoveling anything, it's not going to be that intense, uh, with somebody, you're immediately, in some real and true sense, bound to them in some close way. If you've ever gone on a mission trip with a group of people, you realize the intense kind of nature of your closeness after that period of time. And uh, serving, working together does that same thing. And so it's both a service to our building and I think it's a service to our unity when we come together and serve. So I just want to plug that for everyone who's able next week. And tell all your friends, bring the whole crew, all right? Good. 
So let's get into the text uh, for today. So this passage that, we, that Charlie so eloquently read for us today is all about prayer. It's all about prayer. Jesus has, speaks to his disciples about prayer. They, they actually come to him and ask him to teach them how to pray. But the central question of this passage, I would argue, isn't actually about prayer at all. I think it's about something slightly different, actually. Prayer is, is very central to what Jesus is talking about, and it's the, and it's the vehicle through which he uses uh, to get this point across. But I think what he's attempting to do is something slightly different. He's attempting to help his disciples and us who read this text to see what God is like, what God is actually like. So I'll pose this question to you at the beginning of this message. What is God like? What is, what is God like? What, what does God, uh, when you think of God, what's personified in your brain? Because the, the truth of the matter is the way you answer this question has a lot of impact on the way you live your life. Is God just a large bearded man in heaven, right, sitting on a throne, looking down? He's concerned about what's happening. Uh, he's up there looking down on us now. He's just kind of humming along to our worship songs, and he's uh, hopefully not critically critiquing my message, right? The truth is we all have an image of God in our brains. We all have a set of maybe feelings or actual visual images of what God is like. And some of those ideas about what God is like are accurate. Some of them are true. And some of them aren't, right? Some of the ways that we personify God, some of the ways that we think about him, some of the, ways that, some of the ideas we have in our head about what God is like and who he is are not accurate. All of us, me, you, everyone. And some of those ideas about God color, or actually all of them, they color and define us, right? They have implications in our lives. The things we think and the things we do very often flow out of our image of God, the ways in which we think about God, the ideas about God we have in our head. And this has real-world ramifications. Just look at all the ways that a little g God or God is being used in the world, right? Oftentimes, our wrong beliefs about God have very real world consequences. The Crusades, right, in, in the medieval times are an example of a faulty perception of who God is, right? They didn't have their God image right, and it led them into all of these kind of destructive patterns. In our day, terrorism stems from tribalism and some faulty ideologies, but it is also primarily centered around wrong ideas about who God is, right? That's all it really is at its core. Most people believe, right, that God is more for me than he is for other people, and God is more pleased with me than he is with other people. And so if I take matters into my own hands on behalf of God, then obviously I'm in the right, right? This is what we think very often. But the truth is, is that not just other religions or other people, but the faulty perceptions about God also reside in us. They reside right here 
in our brains. And they have, they might not result in terrorism, they might not result in the Crusades, but they do result in faulty perceptions. They do, in some sense, hurt us as followers of Jesus. They do keep us back from things. They do hinder us. And Jesus teaches on prayer in this passage. But notice, he's not teaching you us a formula. This passage in Luke that gives us a kind of condensed version of the Lord's Prayer is, uh, it sounds a little bit like the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, but it's a little different, right? It's a little bit more terse. And there's no real formula that Jesus is trying to enact here. Very often we sometimes use the Lord's Prayer as though it were a formula. It's not. It was never intended to be that way. But his prim- Jesus' primary concern is to help his disciples understand the type of God, the character of the God to which they are praying. Jesus is radically reforming or reshaping the image of God that his disciples have in their head about who God actually is. So Jesus is teaching on prayer, but he's really doing this other thing also. And this thing that he was doing is absolutely radical. It's revolutionary in the day in which he said it. So let's just begin at the beginning of this prayer. The central truth that Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples and to us is that God is their Father. That God is their and our Father. He said this to them in in the very beginning of this passage. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed or holy be your name. And then he picks it up again later in this chapter in verse 11 when he says, which of your fathers, right? He's comparing earthly fathers to a heavenly father. He's attempting to kind of shift the paradigmatic picture for these people about who God is and what he does, what, what function or purpose he serves in the life of a believer. Now, referring to God as father was not something that was completely unique to Jesus. In the Old Testament, uh, God is referred to as Father, I think, like 14 times. That's not a, information I have in my head ran all the time. It's just when you study bef- the week before, you read stuff like that. So Sometimes pastors need to make those uh, confessions that we're not just walking biblical encyclopedias. I'll forget it in like two days, just like cramming for a test. It'll be gone. Anyways. But this was by no means a common way of referring to God those 14 times almost always refer to God as the father in the, in, the, in the kind of idiom of the father of our nation, right? They were, it was never this close, uh, intimate, personal language that was used to address God. It was always God as kind of a distant father, as the progenitor, the head, right, of, of the family of Israel. But there was never this connotation of God as Abba, of, as dad. And Jesus, you see earlier in, in, in the book of Luke, is referring to God this way, right? He, he's referring to God as Father other times in the book of Luke and in other of the Gospels. And when he does this, we don't necessarily know. And his disciples were clearly kind of, their, their attention was perked up a little bit. They heard Jesus refer to God this way, and it was slightly interesting. And Jesus then, when he teaches his disciples to pray, teaches them to pray that very way. Notice he doesn't say, pray my, Jesus' father. He doesn't say, pray my father. He just says, pray, in this passage, he just says, pray father. In the, 
in, the, in Matthew passage, he says, pray our Father, right? Jesus is not uh, keeping God as Father exclusively to himself, which would have been understandable, right, if you thought that he was the Son of God, that he was divine. It would have, been, it would have made sense that he can refer to God this way, and I can't, right? Because he's special, and I'm just a person. But Jesus tends, but he teaches his disciples to to refer to God this way, and it's revolutionary. It's completely and utterly different. For Jesus, the primary way that God is to be understood is as Father, and this is revolutionary. But it's also a little scary, I think. It's also a little scary. C.S. Lewis, when he was speaking about this kind of idea of God as Father, says this. I believe it's up on the screen. We want not so much a father, but a grandfather in heaven. A God who said, uh, who said of anything we happen, uh, who says of anything we happen to be doing, what does it matter so long as they are contented, right? I, we just spent three or four days with my, my parents. Uh, my father turned 58, uh, and we were just talking about my kids, and he said, you know, it's not my job to tell them to stop spitting at you. It's my job to keep them happy, Right? He said something along those lines, and I was like, I wish you would help, though. <laughs> but uh, no, but in, in truth, it's kind of not, right? We all want God to kind of be a heavenly grandfather who just is looking out for, uh, so that, you know, we, so we have as many Sour Patch Kids and, like, ice cream as possible, and then we're just kind of placated, right? We're just kind of contented. Grandparents can do that because they don't get the kids all the time right? And they don't, have to, they don't have to deal with the, like, the aftermath of the sugar coma, correct? So they can just keep the child contented and placated. And we would like God to be like this, that he just kind of keeps us happy, right? That he's just a heavenly grandfather. But that's not what Jesus says God is. Jesus said, says God is a father. And this is scary because you know what a father has? a will, some desires of his own. Most fathers have a plan, right? And a father is in some real and true sense responsible for his children. And a good father takes that role very seriously. And so this this reality that God is a father is both good and And at the same time, it is also, for some of us, a little scary or a little off-putting. Because in truth, we want to make God like me. We want God to just simply agree with everything I want, right? We want God to have the same convictions and beliefs that I have. We want God to want the same things for my life that I want for my life, right? And we don't necessarily want my desires, beliefs, wants to in any way conflict with God's will, desires, beliefs, or wants, because that creates some problems, doesn't it? It creates a couple issues. But if God is Father, if God is our Father, He knows what is best for me, even if I don't always know what is best for me. God is a good Father, and because of that, He will not always give me what I want, right? 
if what I want is not in line with his desire for me, right? If, 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 my, if my desire is not in line with what is best. We all know this instinctively, right? We all know that kid whose parents gave them everything they wanted their entire lives, and we know what those kids turn into, don't we? Dictators, right? Third world dictators is what those children turn into. They, they're monsters, really. They're, it's not a good situation. We don't want a God who simply gives us everything we want. We want a God who fathers us in real, true ways. And the truth of the matter is, is that God will not be manipulated. God is not a God like the ancient gods of Rome who are kind of capricious and um, can't, can be manipulated and conjoled, right? This is not what God is. God is a good father. And Jesus says when we pray to him, we need to keep this in mind because very often, right, our prayers are intended in some real and true way to kind of manipulate God, right? Sometimes we pray to God like that, don't we? I just need God to get on my side and do what I want him to do right now, right? And so I'm going to try to pray because I think that might get what I need done, done, right? But if God is a father, then we can't approach him like that because he's not going to, I don't know, for those of you who are parents, you know this, right? Sometimes your kid comes to you and, you're, and, you're, and that request is good, and you'll honor it, and you'll help them get what they want. And sometimes you're not going to play ball, right? And I think very often God is not going to play ball with us, right? He's not always going to give us what we want because God is a good father. And now this idea of God being a father creates other issues for us too, doesn't it? It's because if God is like a father, that means that the types of dads that we actually have in our lives or don't have in our lives affect what we think about God. So uh, probably the third sermon I ever preached was a message that I, I think I gave it at my youth group when I was freshman year of college. I was back for the summer. And I was talking about this idea of God being a father. And uh, for me, I didn't really think anything of it. I have a dad, and he's a really solid dad. He's flawed like all of us, but uh, he's a really good guy. And after the message, uh, a young girl came up to me. She was probably three or four years younger than us, and she, with tears in her eyes, and she said, I, I don't have a dad. How am I going to relate to God? There was, this, like, there was this gap in her life. She thought that if she didn't know what it was like to have a father, then, she, then there was a gap. There was a, there was a barrier in some sense for her, from her actually even coming close to God, right? It felt like a kind of wall. And the reality is, is that for those of us who've, who have fathers who were less than perfect, and that's all of us, right? whether that father was present or whether that father wasn't present, we all have kind of latent things inside of our hearts that color the way we view God, that we, we cast uh, our image of our own fathers kind of like a shadow over the picture of God that we have in our minds. And if your father was overbearing or 
uh, he was a hard driver, and he never gave you approval. Chances are, you think God's that way, right? And if you had a father who was, uh, who was absent in your life, chances are, you, ha- you, have, you have a vision of God that says God is kind of absent. He's not concerned with me. He doesn't really care what I do, right? There are all of these ways in which we think about God that are so colored by the human interactions we have in life. And Jesus, but he doesn't, he doesn't walk away from this image. Because I, I promise you, Jesus was fully aware of the broken nature of our world and the fact that all of us as fathers, me included, are highly broken people. Yet he doesn't walk away from this image. He doesn't walk away from this picture. He's very committed to it for some particular reason, right? You know, one of the interesting things about being a pastor of a church is that you guys get to see me parent my son and daughter, which is fascinating some days, which is awesome some days when I'm being a really good dad and is less awesome other days. <laughs> like this morning when they were, they, were, they were clingy is a good word to describe our children this morning, Right? But the reality is, is that we're all broken, right? We're all imperfect. We're all not fully healed. And we all have experience uh, of fathers that are this way. And yet, God comes to us. God comes to us as a father, right? He comes to us as a father, And the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus is giving his disciples this, this, both this form of prayer and the parable he gives after it as a means of helping his disciples to to come to a fuller understanding of what God being a father actually means. We are all in need of a transformed image of God. We all have an image of God that is in some real and true sense faulty. It's a byproduct of our experiences. It's a byproduct of our upbringing. It's a byproduct of the parents we had. It's a byproduct of the things we've heard. It's the byproduct of the, of the churches we've been a part of. It's the byproduct of the ways in which we've been hurt. Uh, it's the byproduct of the things we've chosen to do, and it's a byproduct of the things that have, have been done to us, Right? And because of all of those things, because of all that life is, because of the brokenness of this world, we all have a faulty picture of God. And Jesus inserts this reality into when he's teaching his disciples about prayer, that God is a father because he wants to transform our image of God. He knows that one of the most important things about us isn't just how we look. It's not just what we do. One of the most important things about you is what you think of God. When God, uh, when when the image of God, when the picture of God comes up in your mind, what picture comes up? And Jesus is telling this parable and he's communicating to us about this prayer because he wants us to know and because he wants us to have transformed minds and hearts that see God as a good father with everything that that entails. And so he gives us this prayer and then he gives us this little parable about a guy who's knocking on a door in the middle of the night. He wants some bread because he's looking for uh, 
to be a good host, right? Somebody has come over to his house and he's trying to give him bread. He doesn't have enough bread because in that day, bread was made every day. You know, what you, what you made for the day is what you ate that day, right? And so it's late at night and he didn't have enough and he needs some more. And, his, and uh, this is probably an impoverished part. And if you ever go, I've never been to Israel, but if you ever go to Israel, I've, I've read enough to know that these, these communities are very close together. And so um, there was pro- this was probably a one-room house and it was probably two or three feet away from the other one-room houses that were all around him. So if one person had a guest, everybody kind of had a guest, you know? It was like if somebody's a guest, if your, if your brother or sister is playing loud music in their room, you're, you have loud music in your room growing up, same type of thing. So, uh, so this, this uh, person who has a guest goes to their neighbor and says, hey, we need to feed this person, right? I need to be a good host. And the neighbors are like, knock it off, it's too late, Right? And he persists, and finally he gets what he wants. And the, the point of this passage is not that, that God is like the neighbor who's like, please leave me alone, okay? Just so we know. I've heard this, I've heard this message taught, and in some ways it's, it's been misused to make prayer into be something where you, you have to coerce God, right? That's not what this is about. God says, I'm not like that, right? I, as opposed to that neighbor, am a good father. And when you ask me for something... He says it later, if you ask me for something, if you ask me for something good, I'm not going to give you a snake, right? I am not like that neighbor. I am a good father, God says, or Jesus says of God. To help his disciples understand something powerful about who God is and how we should address him. So, there's, I have just two quick observations from this passage, just as we, uh, as we near the close. The first is that um, this passage is meant to transform our image of God. But the primary way that Jesus seems to believe that our image of God is transformed is through prayer. So in your notes, it says, prayer transforms our perception of God. Prayer, praying to God as Father, seems to be one of the ways that Jesus would argue that our image of God or the picture of God in our heads gets transformed. If you want to develop a picture of God that is, is accurate or is the way that Jesus wants us to picture God, then part of the way that you do that is to pray the way that Jesus instructed us to pray and to pray to God as though he were a good Father, right? Right? Prayer, the the practice of prayer, the discipline of prayer transforms our image of God. It takes the faulty images of God that we have, right? And it transforms them into the better image of God, into the reality of who God actually is. Jesus, with this passage, is transforming his disciples' perception of who God is. They did not think this way about God prior to Jesus teaching them this, I assure you. And Jesus himself referred to God as Father. But what Jesus is teaching us here is that God wants to be known and interacted with as a Father. And part of the way you get to know God the Father is to approach him as such in prayer. And this transforms us. Very often, part of the way in which we think about prayer is that prayer is about what I do to get things. And it seems that Jesus is transforming this paradigm here a little bit. 
And it, it seems, it seems to, it, he seems to say that the primary purpose of prayer then is not to get things, but to be known and to know. That the primary purpose of prayer is relational, right? That if we need to transform, transform our vision of God, then in some real and true sense, prayer is the, is the vehicle, is the avenue through which we do that. This prayer to God as Father transforms our image of God, and it makes us healthier. It helps us to not see God in ways that are destructive, both to our own hearts and to our own lives and to the lives of those around us. And I just want to encourage you in this, that there are areas in each of our lives where we are we are operating off a faulty image or picture of God. There are. We're all operating off some of them. And, and the way we combat that is to pray to God as Father and to ask him to reveal those things to us and to be our Father and to see ourselves as his children. So that's number one. Number two, the prayer that God is most willing to answer in this passage is the prayer that asks for more of him. In verse 13, he says this, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So often, we, we make these ask, seek, knock passages about just persistence, right? Uh, that you persist, and when you couple the ask, seek, knock passage with this parable, it can get a little twisted, and people can just think, okay, I'm going to pray uh, did, every, did any of you ever have one of those bracelets that said, pray until something happens, right? They, they had little bracelets. They were like, what would Jesus do? And then they had little bracelets that said, push. This is only relevant to you if you, you grew up in church and you're a nerd. You were a church nerd like I was. Uh, yeah, that's a hand. I see that hand. Uh, those are kind of faulty, <laughs> to be honest with you. It, 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 uh, it, it put forward a vision of God that said God just is kind of waiting in heaven going, okay, I need, okay, three more hours of that prayer, and then, yep, then I'll do it, okay, right? Like, as soon as we get 10,000 prayer hours in the bank, then I'll let you, you know, then I'll, then I'll free up that house, right? I don't think that's how God works. I really don't. That's not the picture of God that Jesus gives us here, Right? God most certainly has a will, and he is most certainly a father, and he will not do things and give us things that will be bad for us, right? God has his own timing and his own will and his own desires, and we're not always aware of those things. Our responsibility as his followers is to trust that he is a good father, and he will do with us what a good father does, right? In prayer, that's our responsibility. But notice the prayer that he says will be answered toot sweet, the prayer that, hey, it's been a while since you heard Toot Sweet. The prayer that he will answer, I don't know where that even came from. The prayer that he will answer regardless, right, regardless of your motivation even. And this is the prayer for more of God. It's the prayer to be closer to the Father, right? The, the prayer... That's, that 
that addresses God as Father and asks for more of Him will be answered with His presence or with the Holy Spirit. This reality is a through-going reality in all of the Bible, that God, and you hear me say it all the time, that God is present with us, right? And that He wants to be near us, and that our prayer to be near Him, our desire, our will, our wish to be near Him will always be met, because God is here with us. And the thing that we need to get over, the, the hurdles that we have to jump are very often our own. The hurdle that we have to jump to being nearer to God as our Father are the, are the hurdles that we've placed in our minds about who God is, our God image, right? The, the hurdles we have in our lives to jump over are very often our own hurdles, but God is always willing to give himself. God is always willing to be near us, and he is always willing to be known by us. And as we pray and ask him for that thing, we never have to wonder, like a good father, we never have to wonder if our father wants to be near us, because he always does, and he will always respond to the request for his presence or for more of him. He will always respond to the request to be near him or to sit down with him or to talk with him. He will always respond to that request in the affirmative. Now, do you know how I know that I'm not a good, always a good father, that I am faulty and broken and hurting? Is because I like to think that I respond to my children's request for my presence whenever they ask for it. But you know what? Sometimes I let things get in the way. Sometimes I'm working. Sometimes I'm trying to watch basketball and I don't want to play Legos. Right? Sometimes there are just things that get in the way. And in those moments, you know, sometimes those things happen in a day and I just kind of walk past them and I don't realize them. And sometimes the, the kind of severity of the fact that I have not been a good father in that regard, that my child asked for my presence, asked to be with me, and I shrugged them off, right? God is not like that. God's not too busy. He doesn't have a bracket, right? He's not, um, he's not doing anything other than desiring to be with us. Yes, he's running the world, but he's a good multitasker. And God is not like me, right? He's not as faulty of a father as I am. He's a perfect father. He's a good father. And he's got time for you to come around, right? He's got time. If you're throwing a tantrum, right? He'll let you be. But he is a good father. And he longs to be near you. Even if your real dad wasn't around. Even if your real dad didn't always pay attention to you, or didn't always give you the type of love and affection that you needed. Our Heavenly Father isn't like that at all. 
He's a good father. And he longs and desires to be near us. And if you ask for that, he will give it. He will give it. And so today, I thought maybe we would do that. I thought maybe we would ask God, right, to be near us. Sometimes, in, sometimes in, uh, in the course of a Sunday, what we do is we, we hear a message and hopefully we're moved by it in some way, shape, or form, and then we leave. And some days, it's good to reflect on the reality that we have just heard. Because regardless of what I've said about God as being a father, regardless of how well or not well I've handled this scripture, regardless of all of those things, God is a father and God longs to reveal himself to you. Right? And I think, and, and I think we all want that. I really do. Whether you're in this room and you are a follower of Jesus or whether you're not, I think what you want, I think what we all want deep down in our hearts is for God to be a good Father, to fill in those places in our hearts that are broken, to, to shore up those, those pictures in our head of what people are like that are kind of broken. To be for us what we knew our earthly fathers could not totally be. God wants to be that for us this morning. So I've asked Dan to come up and play just for a minute. And uh, I'd just like us all to reflect, to pray, to ask God to be our Father to give us more of himself. And if the scriptures are true, and if what Jesus said in this passage is true, he'll do it. He'll do it. And he will either continue the process that he's been working in your life of, heal of healing the brokenness and the false uh, God images in your brain, or he will start it. Or he'll start it. And either of those is a good thing. So this morning, I just want to take a few minutes and do that. Just a few minutes. And then I'll come up and I'll pray and I'll close us. But the best way to start that is just by beginning your prayer by saying, Father or Dad. And the rest, he'll do. Amen.